Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, welcome. If I've not met you before, my name is Rick, and I'm the campus pastor here. Portico is a church. We've got three campuses, one in Mississauga. The best one meets here, and there's one that meets in Spanish. And every week, the same message is preached in all three campuses. And we're in week three of our worship series, Breathe. And we've been talking about how worship is just like breath. And actually, next week, we're going to look a little bit deeper into that. But I don't know, any, any, any football fans in the room? Anybody, if you follow football? I don't know if you know the name, Colin Kaepernick is a guy. He is the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. He's not a very good quarterback anymore. But a few years ago, he was a great quarterback. But as the year began, he started a movement. And he started a movement that's actually cost people their job. He started a movement that has been rallying against, uh, rallying against hate and, and rallying against... Um, uh, racism and prejudice in the United States, but, but he said, I'm not going to stand for the national anthem that works against the safety of African-American people. I'm not going to stand for a national anthem that, that totally limits um, my safety and, as he says, my rights and my freedoms. And so he, he began this movement. He started kneeling when the national anthem was played before NFL games. Now, there have been people who have got right, I'm, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, I'm saying there have been people that have got right against, uh, right against him and said that he's disrespecting, um, he's disrespecting the military and he's, and he's disrespecting the country and disrespecting the flag, yet there are millions of other people who have got right behind him and have joined him. There were, there were high school football teams that started taking kneels, there were taking knees, there were, there were other athletes in all different sports and for all different causes, and he began to rally people against the common theme that we need to stand up for the rights, and actually, he said, "This is one of the most patriotic things that I can do, because when I see an issue with my country, I need to speak up. I can't just say that. I can't just say, well, things are going to be okay, and I'm not going to raise an issue." And then last week, I don't know if you heard, but the Americans are having an election. Did anybody hear that? Yeah, <laughs> they were. There was a guy, <laughs> so they were having an election, and so they wanted people wanted to know, Colin, who did you vote for? And and here's, here, here's the quote he, he, he was being interviewed on on the evening of uh, election day. And he says, no, I didn't vote. <laughs> to me, it didn't really matter who went in there. The system still remains intact that oppresses people of color. Now, this was a man who believed in something. This is a man who, who endured criticism, who motivated other people for change, but then couldn't bring himself to do the one thing that actually could enact change in the political realms of his country. Why? Because there wasn't a perfect solution for him. And again, I'm not going to go with any candidate. Both have some horrible flaws, and both, I'm sure, can be used to lead in wonderful ways as well. But, but his movement that he's been rallying people against for months. This started back in, in August, and he's been rallying for August, September, October, into November. People around the world have, have gained support behind what Colin was, do, was doing, totally derailed because he failed to risk action on something that he truly believed in. And I wonder, how many times do we watch small opportunities go by, opportunities that afford us a chance to change the world, to impact the world, yet we don't act out on them because we don't recognize how significant 
those opportunities are for us. I think, I think sometimes we forget what changing the world looks like. When great people with great ideas take small steps, even if they're imperfect steps initially, the world can be changed. And I hope you believe that this morning. With a great person with a great idea who takes a step can actually change the world. I was just mentioning as I was, as I was praying, I, God's really been impressing upon my heart this week as, I, as I've been studying, as I've been praying. And we need to remember that the same spirit that Jesus had, that same light and life is within us no matter what we do, no matter where we go, we have the ability to give life to people. I have the ability to give Rick to people or life to people. I hope I don't choose Rick all that often because between life giving and just what I have to offer, it's not even, it's not even comparable. And we forget all the time we can change the world if we would take a step because we have life within us. Steve Jobs, writer, inventor, founder of Apple, uh, he, he developed Macintosh computers, wonderful, magical machines. Where's Andrew, right? right no, Andrew. <laughs> wonderful machines, these, these, these Macs. And, they, at, and they were, he was designing them back in the 80s in a time where, when computers were not even designed to be in home. And with, with his partner and not much funding, they worked out of Steve Jobs' boyhood garage. And they developed the prototype, the Apple One, and then the Apple Did anybody have like one of those? Gavin, you had one. I know you had one. Of those. And it's wonderful, isn't it? Just a magical thing it was. And these little, these little my, my uncle had one. I remember my uncle brought one to my house, and I was totally blown away by this little compact computer. And Steve says, I sat in my garage, and I invented the future. Great people with great ideas can change the world when they take a risk, even at an imperfect machine like that was. And you and I have so much more to offer. We, have, we don't even just have a great idea. We actually have the power of the creator of the world who sustains life and gives hope and freedom. We have that within us. We have the ability to change the world if we would risk action every once in a while. And like I said, we're in this worship series called Breathe. And we're looking at how worship should be as natural to us as breathing. And, and in the first week, we looked at how, why do we sing every time we get together? Because worship isn't music. But what we discovered is worship is embodied in music. It's the act of taking a pause in our lives, focusing on God, sacrificing something. For some of you, it's a bigger sacrifice than others. I sit in there, I hear you sing, I know it's a just kidding. <laughs> we sacrifice something of ourselves and we offer it to God. We hear the words and we're reminded of the promises of God. You remember that first week we said we sing because worship isn't music. It really isn't. That's just, that's just a band. This was just a band playing. They weren't worshiping for us. But the act of sacrificing and hearing the promises of God, that's worship. And then last week we looked at how how part of our worship is allowing God's spirit to transform us. And, and, and although the music is the reminder, sometimes we come in on Sundays and we feel like we get this quick hit of worship and that's what, that's what worship is, but that's only 10% of what's available to us. Remember the breath thing when you go, that's 100% of the auction that's available to me. And we're, we should take six breaths a minute, but we take 15. Why? Because we get accustomed to quick, quick. And it only, it only avails us 10% of what's available to us. And the same within worship. If we would let the Spirit of God begin to transform the way we live, we would experience 100% of what's available to us when we actually have this ongoing relationship with God. Now, and, and as I said, I believe we are a collection of great people with an amazing life-changing truth that brings freedom to anywhere in the world. But it's only impactful when we risk action. 
when we risk action, even if it's imperfect, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's going to press us into a place where we've never been before, that's faith that transformed the world. Faith that you believe inside your heart, that can transform your world. Faith acted out transforms the entire world. And that's the idea, the big idea you want to take away this morning. Faith believed in your heart transforms your world. Faith acted out transforms the entire world if you would risk it. And what we're going to see this morning is not only does it change the world, but it's a part of our worship. And it's one of the highest forms of expressing worship is acting out on our faith. And it might, worship might be best understood and experienced in music and in quiet reflection as we've been looking. But worship is lived out at Starbucks. And I tweeted out this week, and Andrew, yes, it's lived out at Tim Hortons as well. And it's lived, somebody said it might even be lived out at Walmart and Costco. Yes, worship is lived out wherever we go. It's lived out in office staff meetings. It's lived out in volunteer opportunities. That's where worship is lived. It's experienced here, but it's not lived out here. It's an experience here. And when we miss out on that piece, we fail to recognize what worship is. Now, I want to believe me, these are not just my crazy ramblings. This is rooted in the Bible. So go to James, the book of James. It's in the New Testament if you're new to the Bible. It's in James chapter 2, verses 20 to 26. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, we've got a bunch back there. Just raise your hand, and one of our ushers will make sure you get a copy to borrow. You can follow along on our app and on the U version as well. James is past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, past Romans and Corinthians. You're getting towards the back there just before 1 John. You're going to look at the book of James. You can just use a table of contents. It's probably an easier way to get there. James 2, 20 to 26. And here's what James... Now, James was the brother of Jesus. He spent a lot of time with Jesus. He was the little brother of Jesus. But here's what he says. You foolish person... Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? He's getting harsh here. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? So so Abraham already had this relationship with God, brought his son and would have offered his life as worship. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and that his faith was made complete by what he did. So his faith and his worship was completed by what he did. And scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So what was credited to him as righteousness? The act, acting out on it. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, even was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous. So a lady that lived completely outside of a lifestyle of God considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies, these were spies that were looking out the land, the promised land for God, and sent them in a different direction. Here we go, big thought for the morning. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, a Greek study of this word, we did some study on this word this week. You know what dead means here? Dead. Like, like picture a body in the morgue, the toe tag, everything like, everything like that. This is, this is what we mean by dead. Yeah, th- that's what, what he's writing when he says, what is faith without deeds is a body lying lifeless, not important. Now, just let that image sink in. I know some of you are a little disturbed by this. I don't believe that's an actual dead body. I believe that's a live body with this a toe tag on there. But salvation, now think about this, salvation God brings righteousness to our spirit. Why? By faith only. And how you live out your faith, it doesn't 
It doesn't affect whether you get into heaven or don't make it to heaven. That's by faith only. But what we'll see this morning is that faith that's lived out is alive and it's faith that will change the world. Faith that's bottled up and never becomes action is like a body that's living there just waiting for God's spirit to come back. And we believe that, that God's spirit, Jesus is gonna come back. He's gonna take us to heaven. But that's like lying there waiting for him to come back. It's dead is what James is saying. You can get rid of the picture so no one else has to look at that anymore. (laughs) Our great hope is that we will live in perfection with Jesus. But our purpose on earth is not to wait for him to come back. Our purpose on earth is to bring light and life wherever we go and make disciples of Jesus by how we live our lives. And faith without action might change your world, but only action changes the entire world. And next week, we're, gonna, we're really excited about next week. You need to be here right at 1010. And I know you laugh when I say that, right at 1010. But you have to be here right at 10. The coffee will be ready by 950, and it'll be even better than this morning. I'll let somebody else make it. But the coffee will be ready at, t- at, at 950. You've got to be here. We're going to have a, a, a combined worship experience with our Spanish campus, with our Mississauga campus, with here. We're going to join together in worship. We're going to have creative art pieces. We're going to have spoken word pieces. We're going to bring people through a worship experience that we believe will be just as nourishing to our souls as breathing. It's going to be an amazing Sunday. You're going to want to be there because we believe that we have this uh, opportunity to have these experiences. But this morning, we don't want to talk about the experience. We want to talk about how worship is expressed in action. And as James writes this letter, he challenges us to consider what's more important, having faith or demonstrating that faith? to demonstrate the faith by how we live. He's saying, is faith cognitive? Is it in your head? Is it spiritual? Or, or is it practical and physical? And what James suggests is that it's actually both. And so we, as you, if you're taking notes, you can pull out a pen, you can fill it in on your tablets or on your smartphones. But here we go. A life that becomes fully alive as a worshiper is what we're looking at. The first thing is that it's relationally engaged. And church is great, and services are important to encourage us. They're they're a great rallying point, but they're the 10% of what we experience in worship. To truly worship, part of it is we need to wholeheartedly engage into the lives of our friends and our neighbors. Here's what, if you back up in that, if you still have James open, James 2, back up to verse 8, here's what it says. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right, which is he's going to talk about righteous. So if you really do that, love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing right. Now, we love ourselves a lot, don't we? (laughs) We love ourselves a lot, right? We love ourselves enough for new cars. We love ourselves a lot for spa days. We love ourselves a lot for holiday drinks. We find the time to get what we deserve. We love ourselves to have a little me time. We make sure that our voice is heard. And James says, you want to do right? Love your neighbor the same way that you love yourself. Now, John, one of the disciples, he wasn't sure if James was being blunt enough for people. He said, when he, when he called us foolish and that kind of faith without works is useless. So John takes it to another level. In 1 John four nineteen and 20, he says, we love because he first loved us. And whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And again, remember, we're talking about salvation happens with, by, by belief, but we change the world with the love that we express. Now, these two men spent a lot of time with Jesus. James 
was the brother of Jesus. And actually, as we were studying this this week, Joe, our wonderful, uh, our teaching pastor and our Jewish historian, brought to our, our attention that James's name is not even James. James's name is actually Joseph, or, and it was changed back, in, back when King James was having the Bible translated. We had the King James Version and the, and the New King James Version. He wanted somebody in the Bible named after him, so he changed his name to James. But his actual Hebrew name is Joseph, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce it uh, with, a, with a Hebrew accent because I'll just butcher that. But just know that his name is actually Joseph. This is Jesus' brother named Joseph after their father who was Joseph. We're getting... We're getting to Christmas, right? This, this is, this is his, his brother, his closest sibling, said, if you don't live out your faith, it's useless. John, the one who said, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said that if we, don't, if we love God, but we hate a brother or sister, we're actually a liar. Now, there are definitely people in this world that I have struggled loving. I would even say I have a little bit of hate for the one in the superstore checkout line where it clearly says 11 items or less and they have 17 items. I have a little bit of hate going on for that person. What about the person you're on hold and they're saying there's that, that recording going over and over. Thank you for continuing to hold. Your call is important to us and you've been placed in queue. You will be connected when the next agent becomes available. I hate that lady's voice. That drives me crazy. For 45 minutes, I don't want to hear that lady. Just just play music. I don't want to hear that lady's voice anymore. Trust me, I know you're coming back. But John, John says, I'm a liar if I show up to church and say I love God, but I harbor hate or unforgiveness in my heart. Now, I actually don't hate them as people. I just hate some of the things that are happening at the superstore and while I'm on hold. We have people that we have unforgiveness in our heart though, against, though, right? We have, we, we have people that have wronged us, that have done some pretty nasty things to us. We have people that we work with that we have regular squabbles and quarrels going on. We have real conflict with our friends and our families and our coworkers. And the life of faith says if we're not relationally engaged, if we can't properly love other people, we're not even worshiping. We're lying. We're having useless faith. Look how closely Jesus aligned proper relationships with worship. Matthew 5 and 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. So even if somebody has something against you, he says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now that's how they worship, right? They, they sacrifice something on the altar. So they're saying, if you're driving to church, Jesus is saying, if you're driving to a worship experience and you know that there's somebody with hate going on between you and them, there, there's something that's improper going on, he says, don't even come and worship. Make sure you make that relationship right before you come and worship. Now, you can't change somebody else's heart, and you can't do anything to them. You may not be best friends, you may not be, but, but you need to reconcile it first and say, listen, I forgive you. I'm going to move on from this. We're going to see what we can do to continue on in, in, a, in, in, in a relationship that isn't conflictive. He says, don't even come to worship until you first figure that out. Those are strong words Jesus is saying about relationship and how we live our lives. Mark 11, 25 to 26 and when you stand praying, this is Jesus again, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. But if you do not forgive them, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Wow, those are, those are strong words. 
that Jesus is saying, if we can't forgive somebody who's really wronged us, like, we're not saying they haven't wronged you. He's not saying, if you're justified in your hate, continue hating and worship. Wouldn't that be a much easier phrase? If they've actually wronged you, feel free just to keep that grudge against them and worship because some people wrong you and that's okay. No. He says, forgive, or we're not going to be forgiven. That life that was in the room before, it's gone real quiet now. (laughs) Because none of us live in perfect harmony with other people. And sometimes the greatest act of worship we can ever embark upon is forgiveness of a person who may not even deserve it. Luke 7 and 36, there's this, there's this woman, she's, she's called a sinful woman. It means she was a prostitute, she was involved in sexual sin, or she was at least sleeping around. That was, that was the best that it could have been. This is a lady that did not deserve to be forgiven, and everybody in the room knew that she didn't deserve to be forgiven. They knew who she was and what, and what she did. And, and there's a story that, that, that she comes in right to the feet of Jesus, surrounded by the leaders of the church, and she cry, or she washes Jesus' feet with her tears. Now, could you imagine how much you would have had to cry to wash somebody's feet? Like stinky, disgusting feet. They've been walking around in the desert. Can you imagine how much you would have had to cry to wash somebody's feet? Well, you study this verse a little bit more. That's not even what was going on there. I'm going to ask them to put up the picture of this lacrima jar. And in, and in, in uh, Eastern culture, especially in, in Jewish culture, when somebody would die, you would embark upon a week long of wailing and you would hire wailers and they would wail and cry and you wouldn't eat and you, you would have uh, ash on your head and you would be dressed all in black. And for that entire week, you would cry and you would weep. And there was somebody that was hired to come around with this jar and catch tears. The lip would have been right there. And for that would have stayed in families' homes going up and up and up of liquid. And imagine they're living in the Middle East, so some of that's, uh, some of that's just going... Um, Evaporating, there's the word I'm looking for. Some of, that, some of that's evaporating going up, yet that jar was still full of actual salty water, people's tears. And when we see what would have happened in foot washing, they would have brought water and they would have dumped it out and washed. She brought her family's tears because she knew she didn't deserve forgiveness and nobody wanted to forgive her. And she comes to Jesus' feet and poured out her tears. If you look in, 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 one, in the, some translations, he poured out her tears from that jar, maybe not that one, but one that looks like that. Poured out her tears. Years of, of agony, and, 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 and you know how much it, 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 energy is taken when you cry and you wail like that? Poured out on Jesus' feet. Why? Because she just wanted to be forgiven. And what was more important to her that the Pharisees and Jesus loved God and had faith? What was more important to her? That they loved God or that they forgave her? You, you tell me what was more important to her. Worship inside my heart, it's good for me. But if I don't ever live it out, it never changes anybody's world. And her world was changed that day because Jesus said Jesus forgave her of her sin. How many of us just need to think about how am I living my life in relationship with other people? What kind of hate, what kind of forgiveness do I need to offer people? A reflection question for you this morning. Is there one person you need to connect with this week? And before you come back to a Sunday worship experience, you're just going to offer forgiveness. You're just going to start. You may not repair the relationship in full, but you're going to start a journey 
to repair a relationship, you know what that's going to be? That's way more impactful than ever it would be for you to come back and sing one more song led by a band. To be fully alive in worship is relationally engaged with others. You know what to be fully alive in worship also is? It's also socially responsible. Spiritual activity, I can't get a word out. Spiritual activity is not devoid of social responsibility. Worshiping God requires us to go out of our way to make sure not only that we have good relationships, but also so that good is done in the world. Now, this is one of these concepts that people get extreme on. On one side, we have people that say, it doesn't matter how I live or what I do, I'm saved by God's grace. So don't manipulate me and tell me you have to follow all these causes and do all kinds of good works. That has nothing to do with my faith. And you're right, but don't get caught in the extreme. And some people say, isn't God more pleased with me when I do good works? And if I just do enough good things, it doesn't really matter what's going on inside my heart. And no, don't get caught on that side. There's one, we, we've got these two extremes and some people saying, I, I, can, I just get this forgiveness and the other people over here are saying, I'll do enough good things, I get a gold sticker from Jesus and we move on. I'm on, I'm on God's all-star team. I went on a missions trip and I, I'm, I'm handing out coffee and hot chocolate at the parade and I moved my car and I got people in. I did the best today. It's both. It's 100%. Balance looks like 100% of both. Here's what James said in 2.16 in our key passage. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about physical needs, then what good is it? And again, personal faith, it has the power to change your world, but faith expressed can change the entire world. And the model for true worship of God is, is balanced between these two concepts. Understanding that nothing you do makes you more um, right with God. That happened because Jesus died. It's by faith alone that you're right with God. And 100% over here, that means every day we live out our faith so that other people can experience forgiveness and other people can experience the provision of God. 50-50 is not a great picture of balance. You know why? Think about it in a relationship. If in a relationship, 50% of the time you win and 50% of the time they win, that means 50% of the time you lose and you're not so happy with what's going on. Perfect balance is much more expressed in 100%, 100%. That 100% we're, we're, we're making sure that our partner wins and 100% of the time our partner's making sure that we win so that we're always having needs met. That's what worship looks like. 100% recognizing that nothing I do makes me more right with God, yet 100% of the time I'm looking at how I can serve God's mission in the world. This has been the way that it's been right from the beginning of the church. In Acts 2 and 45, this is the second chapter of after Jesus had left. This is, they were just, they had just received the Holy Spirit. They were just establishing what church looked like. And here's what they did. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And we're going to receive a second offering this morning, Heather. I think you're right. And if you want to sign over the mortgage of your, uh, your mortgage to us today, and we will sell your house, and Mike will find space for you to live in the building, right? Mike, there's, there's lots of space. In the there's, like, there's like some good cushions in the back in the little kids' classroom. You can sleep there. Well, no. We're, okay. So we're, we're not going to go there. It's a different world. It was a different time. But worship express means that I live everything about my life to serve other people, even if it causes me to make a sacrifice. And it's not hard to look around to find places in our world where people are hurting. And I picked on the millennials last week. If you watched that video, it was a fun, <laughs> that was, that was a, that was a fun video, right guys? Yeah, good video. <laughs> 
But this is a generation that is the largest generation we have ever seen, greater than the baby boomers, the largest generation that our world has ever seen and is predicted to be the most socially active generation and socially aware generation that we will have ever experienced. This is a generation that says, I'll give up some finances. I don't need a good career. I don't need all my personal time. As long as I can be involved in something that's making a difference in people's lives, I will go forward with that. And it's an amazing attitude. It's actually a very worship-minded attitude saying, as if I'm making a difference for God's work in the world, then I will do that. And we, a life that is made alive by worship cannot neglect social responsibility. Ten years of youth pastoring. I, I, I'd been youth pastoring for 10 years, and in a time of prayer, God challenged me to go back to school and to study psychology and get my master's in counseling and, and train and then become a therapist. And, and so I did all this work. It took, cost me thousands of dollars, cost me years of my life. And I thought, you know, God's calling me to the next phase of my life. And that career change lasted all of one year before Pastor Doug and the vortex of Portico sucked me back in. And I was, I, was, I was reflecting on this the other day, and I thought, God, why on earth? Do you know how much that cost me? Do you know how much? Like, why would you do that? Like, what? This wasn't my idea. I was very happy doing, doing what I was doing. Why would all of this happen? And then God said, stop, just for a moment. He goes, would you have been as keenly aware to the world of adoption if you hadn't started that journey? No, I probably wouldn't have been. And it was during that time when we adopted our daughter, who has the softest heart and the personality to go with it, the ability to be a world changer. He said, so don't question if I'm calling you to sacrifice something about your job or your finances or your money. He said, would you have connected with social services the way? Would you have understood the inside of the system and, and lived your life in a way that is, that is now actively working towards it? If I meet someone that's in an adoptive situation or is going through social services, or I just want to counsel people and be a support for people and do seminars for people, not, not for money because I don't need money because sometimes it costs. So I, I believe that God's going to provide money in other ways and this is a skill that I have that I can offer to the world. And, and, and God pressed that upon my heart and said, then don't question even if it cost you $40,000 in four years of your life and you thought you were going one way and I called you to do something different. Don't question me. Because part of your worship is social responsibility and offering what you have, offering your finances, offering your time to the world. Matthew 25 and 40, Jesus was telling a parable. And here's what he said. One day the king, when we see the king face to face, he will say, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And when we say, I care about a person, you know what we're saying? I care about God. When we say, this is going to cost me money and I'm going to sacrifice to it, even if it's not given, even if it's not given in the offering at church, <laughs> we're giving it to God. It's worship. A life lived fully alive in worship is socially responsible. Well, the last one is this. We're relationally engaged. We're socially responsible. A fully alive life of a worshiper is also missionally active. And back there behind uh, this section over here on your left, we have One Hope Central starting up. And One Hope is Portico's annual campaign where we have, um, we have four or five different projects that we ask people to give sacrificially towards because we believe we can meet practical needs. And we raise funds all throughout the month of November. And then we have a concert in December. We have three concert nights. Last year, we, we sold out two concert nights. We have to have another one. There were 2,500 people came and were a part of those, of those nights 
But the purpose is not just to meet the social needs. The purpose is so that people will become spiritually alive as well. We're, we're, We're highlighting five different charities and we're hosting three concerts, and, and all opportunities, they will end with the same thing in each of those concerts, in each of those times, where we're gonna, and you're going to see a video in a moment of the places where we're going to be serving in, but in each of those eight opportunities, they will end with an opportunity to encounter the love of Jesus Christ. And it's a love that says you're more than what you produce, and it's a love that says there's more for you than what you're currently experiencing in this world. It's a love that says there's a God that created you, that knows you, that loves you, and forgives you. And sometimes the greatest expression of our worship is to become missionally active. In James 1 and 22, this is a chapter before our key passage. It says, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Matthew 28 and 19, it's the great, commi- the great commission to all of us that we're to go into all the world and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to make them disciples and to teach them to obey everything that he commanded us. And our theme of One Hope this year is, is good news. And the word, uh, the word gospel, I don't know if you, if you know this, but the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the gospels. And they're called the gospels because that word translated into English properly means good news. And it's the good news of God coming to earth as Jesus and sharing the message of truth and life and freedom. And so that we a part of this campaign, we want to go and we want to share good news. We want to be socially responsible. We're going to help feed people. We're going to help clothe people. We're going to help teach people all kinds of great opportunities. But if we stop there and we're not missionally engaged, helping to share the good news, the gospel, the message that Jesus commanded us to share, then all we're doing is meeting a physical need. And there's so much more that we have to offer. So I'm going to ask you to watch the One Hope video and I'll give you some instruction and then we're going to close the service. Hi, everybody. In just a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Christmas at Portico. One of the favorite passages for me is in Luke chapter 2, where the shepherds hear the angelic pronouncement that they should not be afraid, for God is bringing good news of great joy. That good news is such a practical announcement for humanity. Do you know, at Christmas time, so many people live with less than ideal circumstances. They don't have what they need to truly celebrate, nor do they know the message of hope that God gives us. So this year, what we want to do as Portico is we want to share good news with everyone. We want you to be a part of what One Hope is all about. There are some great initiatives for you to get involved in. There's going to be concerts. There's going to be Christmas Eve celebrations. But together, (coughs) collectively, we are going to share the message of good news for all mankind. So I invite you to get involved. Make One Hope your Christmas project. Every year during Portico's One Hope campaign, We are privileged to partner with organizations in our community and around the world that give hope in practical ways each and every day. This year, we want to give you the opportunity to make a difference in people's lives by making a financial donation or a gift in kind to one of our featured One Hope partners. We're encouraging each person that attends Portico to pick up a brown Mississauga food bank bag from One Hope Central along with an invitation and invite a neighbor, a co-worker, or a friend out to one of the concert nights. Then when you attend the concert, bring the bag back full of non-perishable items for the food bank to help feed the hungry in Mississauga over Christmas this season. Our goal is to reach 5,000 pounds of food. 
Our Milton campus works all year to support young families in Milton who struggle to provide baby food, formula, and diapers for their children. Our goal during One Hope is to collect enough food and diapers to support two families for the entire year. In partnership with Church in the City, Portico regularly prepares and delivers a meal for over 400 hungry and homeless individuals in downtown Toronto on Saturday evenings. This Christmas, our goal is to purchase and fill 500 pairs of warm socks with much-needed toiletries and present them as gifts to the individuals who attend the Portico-sponsored dinner this Christmas. Your financial donation will help support an educational summer camp for children in India that will help them learn English and improve their math skills. For a financial donation of $25, you can sponsor a Wow Christmas for a child in Uganda or Zambia, providing them with a tuition for one year as well as a new school uniform. So as a church, we are so excited about this initiative, One Hope, and we want to encourage you to get involved. Because when you do get involved, you're not just touching our community, but you are literally touching people around the world. Talk to your pastor. Talk to somebody in your growth group. Go online. You can donate. You can find out more information. This holiday season, let's make a difference around the world. Really great opportunities for all of us to be a part. So One Hope Central is going to be open for the next four Sundays. Uh, um, that'll be including the weekend of, of the concert. And there'll be somebody back there who can give you a little bit more information on each one of those uh, opportunities. And um, so we'd encourage you to go back, pick up a pamphlet. You have a pamphlet in your bulletin this morning that actually details all of those opportunities. And uh, obviously most of us aren't prepared to give and support this week, but the MCRC donation bins are there for the diapers and the, and the formula. And there's a little, there's a little uh, outline that tells you exactly what you would need um, or, or what our families that we're specifically supporting, the kinds of food and the sizes of diapers that they're looking for. There's the ability to purchase the socks and to, and to sponsor the, the backpacks and the school uniforms as well as the, as, as the camp. Now, the one th- note that I will make is that you can't give financially there. To give financially, you have to go to the information center. So if you wanted to sponsor one of the backpacks, you'd have to first give down at the information center, and then you could go pick up the card or sponsorship there. So anyway, we want to make that our practical response coming out of this message. We want to ensure that we live a life of worship that is not just focused on what we do here on Sunday mornings, but that our life goes and changes the lives of other people. So as you go, can I, can I encourage you? Is there somebody you need to forgive? You want to be relationally engaged to somebody so that when you come back next Sunday morning, you can be obedient to that scripture that says, first go and reconcile with that person. Is there an opportunity that you just saw, that you just heard um, Pastor Doug and Pastor Joe talking about that you want to be involved in supporting one of those families for the MCR, so you want to be involved in the Mukti summer camp or something like that. Could you, would you consider, not if, but where you will be involved? There are so many easy ways. To, the Cornerstone socks are only $2. The, the school uniforms make an awesome Christmas gift for your child's teacher. You could say, you know, for Christmas this year, we're giving you a Tim Hortons gift certificate, but we're also sponsoring the school uniform of a child in North Africa, and we want to do that on your behalf. Where will you be involved to be socially responsible so that 
we can be missionally engaged and we can be missionally telling people that God loves them. And the reason why we're doing that is because there's a God that knows them and loves them. That's the purpose. That's our worship as we, as we live our lives out in obedience to Christ. Let me pray. God, thank you. What a great morning it's been that we can have the experience musically and we can have times of reflection. So we thank you, just like Heather said, that that's a great opportunity for us to, um, for us to experience that. And God, we don't take that privilege for granted. And we're, we're excited about next week when we're going to spend an hour and we're going to do it a little bit differently and we're going to join with all of our campuses. We're going to have fun, Lord, and we're going to be challenged and we're going to be restored as we breathe in your worship and we, and we breathe out and, uh, and we are just um, sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that'll happen next Sunday morning. That will be something we can set as a pattern in our lives that won't just be for when we come to church, but it'll be daily and it'll be moment by moment, something we, we can recreate in our groups and recreate in our homes. But Lord, this morning, would you challenge us? Holy Spirit, right now, as we quiet our hearts, where am I going to be involved? How am I going to practically worship this week so that your light and life is brought to this world. God, thank you for how you love us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your spirit that's within us. So Lord, now as we go, whether we're on our way home to with friends and family, whether we're on to greet someone as they come into the parking lot with a candy cane and a, and a hot chocolate, would we share that same presence of the Holy Spirit with everybody that we meet? We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.